Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. Thanks for being here. It's the last day of the year. Isn't that wild? 2023, it's over. <laughs> Almost. You're stuck here with me for the very end. It's going to be good, I promise. I mean... I guess I promise. I promise. Yeah, no, I promise. I promise. Uh, Before I start, I just want to say, if you're new or visiting, I'm Pastor Jordan. It's nice to meet you. I'm the worship pastor, and my my wife and I, this is Brooke down here. My wife and I are the youth pastors and the campus pastors, and is there another thing we do? I don't know. Uh, But we kind of do whatever we can do around here, and we love to do it, and it's an honor to serve you. It's an honor to be part of the pastoral staff here. And it's an honor to serve with Pastor Michael and Melissa. It's an honor to serve with your family. And I thank you for trusting me to be up here. Um, It means a lot. And so if you're new or visiting, welcome. We love you. Uh, We're going to get into scripture. Is that cool? Great. Awesome. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk about extravagant worship. Go figure. Yeah, I know. It's so cliche that I always argue with God because I don't want to do a worship message and then he's like, no, you're going you're gonna to do this message. And so I'm just going to read from John 12, verses 1 through 8, probably a passage that a lot of you are familiar with. It says, six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In the Gospel of Mark, it says that she broke an alabaster jar and poured it all over his head. Right? She's anointing Jesus. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray Jesus, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We pray that you would do what you want to do this morning, God, that you would accomplish what you would like to accomplish. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment. We pray that you would teach us, that you would speak to all of us. And Lord God, I just pray that you would use me as your vessel with all my imperfections and other proclivities. And I just pray, God, that you would fill me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Okay, so we just finished Christmas. We haven't quite done the decorations yet, right? We're going to get them down, don't worry. Uh, Anybody still have their Christmas decorations up? Most of you, yeah. They got to stay up until January 1, I think. I think that's a rule, right? Um, 
Who loves Christmas movies? Anybody? Did you watch a fair bit of Christmas movies? Uh, every year, religiously, okay? It's something I do. I watch um, A Muppet's Christmas Carol. A Muppet's Christmas Carol. Not and the other Christmas carols, live action. I need puppets in my Christmas carol. And I watch it every year. And Brooke and I have been together since 2019. And uh, I was like, you know, every Christmas time, I'm like, we got to watch The Muppet's Christmas Carol. And the first two years, she fell asleep. She just fully fell asleep. You know, like when you want to show somebody you love something that you love and you're like in the movie and you're like watching and then you're like looking over to see if they love it. And I'm looking over and she's snoring and it's just not her vibe. Right. And I don't know what we, I think last year we might not have watched it because we were, you know, Hurricane Ian, all that stuff. We were displaced. But this year she wasn't asleep. She wasn't asleep, guys. Come on. I looked over, I was like, it's a Muppet Christmas Carol. I looked over and she's on her phone. <laughs> and I was like, you really, it's a progress though. We're making progress. Sanctification is happening, all right? It's a process. Things are going good. But you guys know the story of Christmas Carol, right? You know about Scrooge? Anybody? Bah humbug. And Scrooge is this older, wealthy, miserly guy who is stingy and, you know, we've, we turned his name into a verb, like you're being a Scrooge, or a noun. You're being a Scrooge. Sorry, my English teacher father's right over there. He's going to be like, what? <laughs> what in the name of grammar? Uh, so Scrooge, he cannot understand or empathize with the idea of Christmas. And he cannot understand or empathize with the poor, right? Uh, there's this scene in the, the Muppets Christmas Carol where like two puppets come up to him like, we'd like to ask you for a donation, Mr. Scrooge. And uh, he's like, for what? And he's like, for the poor. And uh, the guy says, uh, no, Scrooge is like, what about all the public services? They can go to the prisons or the workhouses. And the guy says, well, some of them would rather die than go to the workhouses. And he says, well, they better do it and decrease the surplus population, right? Scrooge is the worst. Scrooge is getting worse. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, so I'm not spoiling the story because, like, A Christmas Carol is, like, nearly 200 years old, right? It was written by Charles Dickens in the 1800s. And if you know the story, you know that Scrooge, on the eve of Christmas, is visited by three spirits, right? His, his, his partner comes to him as a ghost and tells him he's going to be visited by three spirits. He's visited by the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of, of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And so Scrooge is visited by these ghosts, and through the series of events that he experiences, he wakes up, and he's grateful that he's alive, that he's not dead and forgotten. He becomes overjoyed about Christmas, and he changes from somebody that... Um, despised Christmas and was miserly and hated the poor to somebody that gave generously and experienced Christmas extravagantly, right? This is what happened in Scrooge's heart. And you go, okay, Scrooge, that's a nice little segue. What does that have to do with John 12? Uh, it's a loose connection, but like I was watching the movie and I was thinking about the poor. And then I started thinking about this story that we just read, right? this story. And Scrooge moves from commonplace to extravagance in his heart towards Christmas and towards his fellow man. But in this story, Mary lavishes an extravagant gift upon Jesus, right? She lavishes an extravagant gift upon Jesus. And, and 
lots of scholars will say that the gift, it says 300 denarii in, in the passage, and we don't really know what that means, but it equates to a year's wages, right? So, so lots of scholars will say that this was an inheritance that Mary had. It was something that was in the family. You'd use it for burial, which the reason she's doing it is she's preparing for Jesus' burial, and she's honoring him. Um, so it's a year's wages. The median salary or the average salary in Florida uh, is about $56,000, right? So imagine this $56,000 alabaster jar of perfume being poured out on Jesus, right? And so we see this wonderful, extravagant act of worship. And so in the spirit of a Christmas carol and Christmas time, let's treat this scene like a play, okay? Let's treat this scene like a play. And we have three main characters in this play. We have the Savior, the Savior who is worthy of worship. That's Jesus, right? The Savior who is worthy of worship. We have the worshiper who is Mary, and she wants to lavish Jesus with an extravagant act of worship. And then we have the critic, which is Judas, right? We have the critic, and the critic can't help but tear down the act of worship. And so... On the last day of 2023, I don't think anybody is a Judas in here, by the way, right? Okay. But on the last day of 2023, I want us to consider who we are in this story in relation to the Savior. Okay? Because we always have an opportunity to choose how we will act and react to things that happen. The Savior who is worthy of worship is either being worshipped by the worshiper or criticized by the critic, the accuser, right? And maybe you're not Judas. I don't think you're, there's betrayers in here. I'm not trying to say that. But we've all been critical, right? I've been guilty of being critical of people. And so we're going to go through these three things. My first point, the critic. Let's talk about the critic. Judas is super easy for most of us to not identify with, right? We uh, his name is synonymous with betrayal. Um, he's a thief, right? The passage says he's a thief. And he expresses ulterior motives in this passage. It's really interesting when you think about Judas because Judas was with Jesus for his earthly ministry. Here's a thought. Judas heard every sermon that Christ preached, right? Judas is in the midst of God's people, Judas was around, and it's wild that Judas would be so far from Christ in his heart while being in such close proximity to him. Lots of people think, oh, I would just believe if, I was, if Jesus was right here, if Jesus was right next to me, but Judas didn't believe. You can tell Judas's heart is far from God, and the thing about the way Judas responds to Mary's act of worship is that it's manipulative, right? He juxtaposes the good thing up against another good thing. He's lying, right? He says, oh, what a waste. We could, we, could, we could feed the poor if we sold all of that. Maybe he's just thinking, you know, proactive. He's thinking about his money like Dave Ramsey, you know? <laughs> like he's being like, hey, don't you buy a new car. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe. But he's simply acting good, and I doubt that very many of us are the critic, but we've been guilty of being critical. We need to watch that. We need to guard our hearts. I don't think you're Judas in here, and I'm preaching to myself, 
I've been very critical of people. We've been guilty of being critical. And, and we need to be careful of it, especially when we're critical of other believers who are boldly and purely and passionately worshiping the Lord. Right? The story shows criticism towards those who would lavish their love upon the Lord. In another, in another gospel, in Matthew 26, 8 and 9, about the same story, it says this, And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For it could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. And it leads me to believe, because Judas is signaled out in the Gospel of John, it leads me to believe that Judas's critique doesn't just affect himself, it affects those around him, right? Judas is criticizing and in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that the disciples are saying the same thing. They're going along with Judas. They're going, oh, yeah, well, what about the poor? What about the poor? What about the poor? What about the poor, right? And there's this spirit in the world today of a critic. There's a spirit in the world today of a critic. And the critic always points their finger at the church. The critic always points at the church and says, they're not doing enough. What about the poor? And it's, it's not a bad idea to serve the poor, right? We have a whole leg of our ministry that serves the poor, right? At, the, at our thrift store and resource center, we serve the poor. But if it's all we ever did, we're a food bank. We're not a church. And you are the church. You are the church of Jesus Christ. You exist to glorify God. You exist to place him first in adoration. And so Judas and the disciples they have a lack of perspective here, and they have a lack of priority. They have a lack of perspective about who Jesus is, right? Judas sees Jesus, but he doesn't recognize him as Lord. His perspective is off. His perspective is off. He doesn't understand that this God who is in the flesh is worthy of worship, any amount of worship, all amounts of worship. It's a lack of perspective because the Lord is worthy of it all. Remember that from him are all things and to him are all things. All the glory, all the worship, all the service, everything is for him. It's a lack of perspective and it's, it's the wrong priority right? Let's think about the word priority right? And hopefully this challenges you because we say all of the time, we say priorities. We pluralize priorities, and it doesn't even really make sense to do because you can't have a bunch of the most important things. You can have one priority. You get one. And God is always competing for number one in your heart. Always. And so Judas doesn't have a priority worked out. Judas manipulates by taking one important thing. It is super important to feed and clothe the poor, right? The, the scripture says that if you did this unto them, you have done it unto me, right? We should do that, absolutely. But when you make the service of God, the service to God the thing, instead of the worship of God the thing, when it takes the place of the worship of God, it's in the wrong priority, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you get it? 
When we prioritize service for God over worship of God, we've gone out of order. Some examples, just let's just get down to the base level, right? If I were to preach a sermon, but I didn't pray about the sermon, there's no power behind it. When I feed the hungry, but I don't know the Lord, I'm just being kind. I'm not sharing the gospel. When you serve on one of our teams at church, but you don't seek his presence, We're missing the mark if we don't seek him first in all things. I cannot neglect my family to serve my neighbor. I have to do both, and they have to be done in order. I have to take care of my home, and then from there, I can take care of others, okay? We get this wrong all the time because we get really emotional, and we go, what about the needs of everybody? Absolutely, you should care about the needs of everybody. But if you have nothing to give but because you haven't cared for your own self, because you haven't cared for your family, because you haven't cared for your soul, then that's a lack of perspective. Our priority of service is to the person of Christ. And from that priority, we feed and clothe and teach and preach and encourage. Christ is the well that brings All of these things refreshing, right? Christ is the well. If we would bring the poor to Christ and clothe them, guess what? The greatest thing they would have got is Christ. This is something Mary understands and something that Judas doesn't understand. I believe that many of us, we, like, because Judas compares two good things, right? We, we get the essence of the good things to do. You know what is good and you know what is bad. You know that. But we get the timing right. We get the timing wrong. And this is something that Pastor, Pastor Gary and Pastor Michael say all the time. Like, we get the essence of the thing right, but the timing is wrong. And that's what priority is. It's placing an order to the things of God. It's placing an order. Okay, I can skip all that. Okay, so hear what I'm saying. I'm not challenging you. I'm not saying that you should disregard the poor. I'm not saying that you shouldn't serve the Lord in all of the different ways that you can in your life. I'm saying it's empty if, it, if it's not Christ first. I'm saying it's empty if you don't run to the Lord first and then out of your relationship with him, do all of those other things. This is, this is something that we, we learn all through scripture, loving God comes before loving others. You love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. You don't, you don't disregard one, you put them in order. And you'll love everyone so much better when you learn to love the Lord first. Because he'll change your heart. Love prioritizes there's this awesome quote from Tim Keller. Tim Keller passed away this year, and he was, he was a great man of the faith. He was a great intellectual and a pastor. He said, if you love anything in this world more than God, you will crush that object under the weight of your expectations. That's something to think about. If you love your spouse more than God, you put the weight of God on your spouse. If you love your children more than God, you put the weight of expectation upon them that should never have been placed on them. 
So the only way that Judas is right in this story is if you don't understand who Christ is. Okay? His perspective is off. He doesn't understand who Christ is. And so I'm not saying you, Judas. I'm not pointing the finger. Let's be introspective. I'm preaching to myself too, right? I need to consider, am I critical about worship? Am I critical about people that lavish the Lord with praise and their finances and their time? The only way Judas is right is if he doesn't understand who Christ is. So who are we? Do we consider the cost of our worship? Are we always second-guessing the cost? Are we critical of the church, which is the bride of Christ, right? And some of those criticisms are just, justified. But if you come up to me and all you do is criticize my wife, I'm not going to like you very much, right? I think Jesus would have us encourage the bride of Christ, encourage the church, help the church do better, help the church be more Christ-like, right? The critic is Judas in this story, but the, the ultimate critic is, is Satan, right? He is called the accuser, and he accuses the brethren of Christ. That's what he does. And so let's not do his work for him. Let's not accuse each other. Let's not criticize one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's spur one another on to good works because of the relationship we have in Christ. Point number two, the worshiper. Mary, what? Just dropping 50, 65, 56K, boom. Just like, anoint the Lord. It's awesome. Uh, am I calling you to give a year's wages in the offering today? Not necessarily. If you want to, that's entirely up to you. You do not have to do that. No one would tell you to do that. But I'm not stopping you, okay? Um, that's between you and God. It's always between you and God, what you would give to God. We believe that, you know, we don't, we don't say, hey, come on. <laughs> the boxes are in the back. It's okay. But it's between you and God, what you'd give to God. It's about your heart behind it. It's not about the amount that you give. And I'm not strictly talking about money, right? We can talk about tons of things that you can give in the, in the service to the Lord. You can give money. You can give of your time. You can give of your effort. You can give a kind word to a brother or sister in Christ, right? You can give those things, and you can give them freely. It's about your heart. And it reminds me of a story where the widow gives the two coins, right? And it was not, it was not the biggest amount. It was a small, measly amount. But Jesus said she has given more than all of the others because she gave everything she had. And so the challenge isn't that we would be people that just go, you know what, I'm just going to empty my bank account and give it all away. And then, I don't know, start over. That's not really the challenge. The challenge is, is that you would live with the perspective that everything you've been given has been given to you by God. Everything that you have is from him and it's for him. And so if you were to live that way and say, you know what? Every dollar in my bank account is from God and it's for God. That doesn't necessarily mean all of it goes to the church or to the poor or whatever. God will give you wisdom about what to do with it. But it's living with an open-handed perspective and saying, you know what? God dropped it in my hands. I'm not going to clutch it like Scrooge. And I'm not, I'm not going to just say, this is mine. I earned it. I worked really hard. God gave you that work to do. God blessed you with it. 
and God blessed your bank account, and God blessed you with health, and God blessed you with time and family and so many other things. And so don't clutch it. Live open-handedly with your life. Mary lives open-handed. She probably didn't even earn all the money that she had been given, all the alabaster, oil, perfume. It, it, it was likely passed down, but she was in charge of it. And she said, I'm going to bless the Lord. This is what I choose to do. And that's really, it's really beautiful. It's really amazing. I think that we can always be challenged by the idea that we shouldn't be clutching at the things that God has blessed us with because then we end up loving the blessing more than the blesser, right? That's what happens. So I want to encourage you this morning. You came to church, right? It costs you something to be here. You paid for the gas. You woke up early. It's a little chilly. You probably had to do 10 jumping jacks before you got up this morning. Uh, you know, you paid a price. Maybe you didn't want to come and you're here anyways. Maybe the kids were trouble this morning. Maybe your body was aching. Maybe you're just feeling sad. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're going through really rough stuff. But today, you said, I counted the cost a long time ago. And I said, it's my joy. It's my joy to come to worship. It's my joy to serve. It's my joy to be in the house of the Lord, right? You maybe. You're not feeling great, but a long time ago you said, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord, right? There's something about being in God's presence. There's something about saying, you know what? I will sacrifice my Sunday morning to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ and to worship him. There's nothing like it. The Bible says not to forsake the gathering of yourselves for worship. And so we come, we come to worship, we come to encourage one another, we come to hear the word and to wrestle with what the Spirit is teaching us. This is what we come to do. And so kudos to you for being here. If you're online, kudos to you too. You clicked a button, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, especially if you got it on the TV, you, you figured out how to cast it on the TV. Wow, so good. So, so good. Worship costs something. And today you maybe you paid the price. If you're thinking, did I pay a price? Maybe you need to up the ante. I don't know. That's between you and God. But worship will always cost us. The things we love will always cost us. I love coffee. Guilty. I pay for coffee. I love coffee. I spend time finding better coffee. I love coffee, guys. We spend a lot of effort finding a new cafe that has sick vibes and a ton of caffeine. Okay? I love it. Got some right here. I don't even I didn't even know this was going to be here. Wow. Amazing. It is mine. I just didn't know it was going to be there. Uh Worship needs to cost us because everything else that we love will cost us, right? Jesus isn't after your pocketbook. God isn't after your money. He's after your heart. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where your time is, your heart will be also. Where your heart is, your, where your effort is, your heart will be also, right? 
This is just a reality of the way that the world works, the way that God created us, is that if we will put forth the effort, we will be giving worship to something. There's this really cool passage of scripture. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to describe some of it. But uh, King David sinned, right? And there was a plague upon Israel. Uh, hardcore punishment. And he goes to this guy uh, because he's told by Gad to go and raise an altar to the Lord. And he goes to Arana, Arana, Arana the Jebusite. And Arana's like, hey, I got it all. I got the threshing floor. I got the oxen. I got everything. But David says to Arana, no, but I will buy it all from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. I think the challenge today is, is that if it doesn't cost you anything, is it worship? You do, do with that what you will. But if it doesn't cost you anything, are you giving worship? David wasn't willing to do it. He wasn't willing to do it. He wasn't willing to take the free gift and worship the Lord with an altar given to him. He wanted to pay for it. Mary brings her inheritance gladly, and she offers it up. Lucy, you can come up here. Um, and when she's doing it, the critic points out and says, what a waste. What a waste. What an incredible waste. Why did you build this big building to have church in? Why did you do the beautiful windows? In 2012, uh, I got the immense privilege to go to Europe with my family. We went to London and Paris, and uh, it was awesome. It was really fun. Thanks for taking me. It was cool. Uh, I was in college, and in Paris, we, my favorite thing was seeing Notre Dame. It was beautiful. It was just immaculate and splendid and large. It took 60 years to build it. It took 60 years to build it. And so there were a couple of guys that did their whole working lifetimes to build Notre Dame. And it was to worship God, to fill it with people that would worship the Lord. And the critic says, what a waste. What a waste. Because the critic doesn't understand worship. The critic doesn't care about who the Lord is. And the critic will point the finger at those that would give of themselves, of their time and money and effort to make something beautiful for God. If it's for God's glory, it's always worth doing. It is always worth doing. Let's look at the Savior, right? The star of the show. To act extravagantly is to be like God. To act extravagantly is to be like God. I, uh, most of my adolescence, I was um, raised in Lake Wales, Florida. I went to Warner University, right? There's a few of us in here who've been to the very center of the state. And Warner University is in South Lake Wales. It's nine miles from everything. I just know because it's nine miles to the Walmart from Warner University. And 
we had a house right next to the college there. And growing up, my brother and I would play basketball outside or throw the football. And as the sun would go down, if the clouds were gone, the sky would light up with the stars, right? It was just so, there was no city lights around. You could see every star it felt like. It was beautiful, glorious. But under the clearest sky on planet Earth, the human eye can only see 5,000 stars at once. We can only see 5,000 at once. Yet in our galaxy, the Milky Way, there's 100 billion stars. And there's 200 billion galaxies. What? Because no one knows, the rough estimate is that there's 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. Does that sound a little excessive to you? <laughs> Isn't it just like God to create numbers of things that we can't even fathom? such high quantities that we can't count them, so far away that we can't even see all that he's created. God acts extravagantly. Extravagant, it means that it's exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate. It's excessive, it's elaborate. We can't fathom what he has done, but he can. In Psalm 147, verse four, it says, he determines the number of stars and he calls them each by name. Judas heard every sermon Christ preached. He witnessed the miracles, but he didn't know the Lord. And although he was presented with Jesus, his heart was not with Christ. He saw with his own eyes. So at the end of today, uh, right now, can you tell? Wrapping it up. Uh, I want to ask you to not just look at Christ, but to behold him. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Seeing isn't the same as beholding. Beholding is to see, but it's to see a remarkable or impressive person or thing, right? And so... I want you to behold Christ because when you behold Christ, you will have the proper perspective about who he is. When you behold Christ, you recognize that Christ is beautiful. He is God. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of worship. Beholding Christ is to recognize who he is, to be undone by his glory. We need not to just see like Judas. We need to behold like Mary. We need to recognize who Christ is. And so that's the challenge at the end of 2023. Maybe you've been critical. We all have, okay? I'm not asking for a show of hands. I'm just, just me right now, okay? We all have been critical. It's a shame if we've been critical towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the work of the enemy. Let's not do his work. Let's leave the criticism in 2023, okay? Let's just leave it here today. Let's be people that worship the Lord extravagantly. Be challenged by the great act of Mary. Let's be people that when we serve the Lord, when we worship the Lord and people point fingers at us and say, what are they doing? 
Why do they give so much? Why do they love people so much? Why do they care about the people in their church so much? Jesus would say about that, they have done a beautiful thing to me. This is what he said about Mary. She has done a beautiful thing to me. He's worthy of it all. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.